0: This morning, we are going to be continuing our study through the book of Isaiah. We're going to be in uh, the second to last chapter of this book. We're going to be in Isaiah 65, and we're going to be looking at verses 17 through 25. The goal of this, this morning, though, is for us to take four simple truths out of this passage and how we can apply it to our own lives today and ultimately to the hope that we have in God today. Uh, the week before last, uh, I got the privilege of going down to Galveston with our youth group. Uh, we got the chance to go to uh, the Student Life Beach Camp in Galveston, uh, and it was a lot of fun. And while we were there, we learned some really great simple truths that I want to bring into this message today. Um, for the theme of the week while we were there was called Take Heart. Take Heart, in the, in the verse in which this theme was uh, encapsulated around was John sixteen thirty three where it says where Jesus says to his, his disciples in the world you will have tribulation you will have tribulation you'll have trials but take heart for I have overcome the world that is a profound statement right there for us to cling to and for us to hope in We saw that no matter what this life may bring, whether it was uh, physical pain or sorrow or death, sicknesses or diseases, famines, natural disasters, broken relationships, whatever this life may bring our way, we can take heart knowing that God is with us and that he has overcome the world. We have confidence in him through Jesus because of the promise in which he fulfilled by sending his son Jesus as the Messiah, the Lamb of God who came and took away the sins of the world. So let's read this passage Together in Isaiah 65, picking up in verse 17. And it says this For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be gladness. Uh, And another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat, for like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children in calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in my holy mountain, says the Lord. Will you guys pray with me? Lord God, we just come before you. We are truly humbled by your goodness and your faithfulness and your truth. Lord, we are so thankful for the promises in which your scriptures reveal to us this day. And the fact that they are are living and active that they uh, sustain those in our past and they sustain us today and they will ultimately sustain us in the future. So, Lord, I just pray that as we look at this passage today and look at these truths, that, Lord, we will take heart all the days of our lives on what you have in store for us. So, Lord, just lead us this day as we work through your uh, scripture. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, there's four things I want us to pull out of this passage this morning. And the first one is this, that we can take heart in God because of his promises. We can take heart in the promises of God. And we ultimately see that here in in the beginning of this, uh, in verse 17 and verses 18, where we immediately are assured, we are reassured of God's promise to bring about restoration for his people. We see three times in these two verses, God referencing a new creation. As I said, we will all face trials. Like what Jesus says in John 16, we will all face trials in this life. We'll face tribulations, but there will be a day when there will be a new creation. There will be a new heaven. There'll be a new earth. There'll be a new Jerusalem. This is the same language that also echoes that of the, 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 the original creation back in Genesis 1, 1, when God created everything. This is the same word that we're seeing here. The word to create in Hebrew is barak meaning to shape or to form, whether it is heaven and earth, individual man, new conditions or circumstances. We see that this same desire from Genesis 1, 1, when God created the heavens and the earth in the original plan is now here as well in the end, in the last days. We see his, the same desire and passion for him to bring about this new restoration for you and I. This is a huge and beautiful thing for us. He's going to reshape us, he's going to reform us from our sinful, broken flesh into something new, which means that we all once again will be good as God originated it to be. And I don't want want y'all to take that lightly, that word good there. I say that because in the beginning, God said that after he created everything, he said it was what? Good, which in his terms is perfect. So if it was perfect then, then why should we be made more perfect now? You know what I mean? Like it's good. We are, are gonna be restored to our original design in God. We're gonna be good. And we should rejoice in this promise of this new creation as it says there in verse 18, but be glad and rejoice forever in which I create, which God creates for behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a joy. Gladness. We must be glad and rejoice forever over what God creates for us because it is truly good. And we can take heart in that. We don't have to live in despair. We don't have to live in anxiety or worry anymore because of this promise. You and I, those of us who are in, God doesn't stop there, but he will also fulfill his promise in restoring us as his people, Jerusalem. You and I, we are, those of us who are in Christ, we are going to be receiving this new life in him. We are no longer gonna be called forsaken like what we saw back in Isaiah 62. We're not gonna be called forsaken or desolate, but rather we're gonna be called my delight is in her. My delight is in her. My delight is in Jerusalem, my people. But my question for us is this, and some of you guys may be asking this is, but how can we take heart in the assurances of his promises? How do we know that his promises will stand? Well, all you have to do is look back at his, former, uh, his past promises. Look back at all the entire Old Testament and, what, and all the things that God has proven himself to do time and time again, whether it's from like Abraham to Isaac, from Jacob to Joseph, from Moses to Joshua, from Rahab to Ruth, or about from David to Daniel. And these are just some glimpses of God's promises being fulfilled in these men's lives. So if you have any doubt or question about God's promises in your own life and what he has in store for you, just look back, on what, uh, look back at his, uh, his, his, his promises in which he's already fulfilled. That should give us so much hope. Y'all with me? Y'all with me? Wow, I'm sorry. Now, now you are, Okay. But we can take heart in God because of the fulfillment of his past promises, resulting in future confidence in him. Which leads me to the next point. We take heart because God is our strength and our weakness. He's our strength and our weakness. As a result of our hope in God's promises, we can now walk in confidence knowing that even in our greatest weaknesses, he is our strength. Again, all throughout history, we see God intervene on behalf of his people. It may not have happened in their perfect timing, right? In our own timing, we want God to do things in our own timing, but it happens in his perfect timing. And the same holds true for us today, that just as God provided a sacrifice for Abraham, for example, for his, so that way we don't have to sacrifice his son Isaac so God will provide for us. Just as God brought his people out of slavery in Egypt into freedom, so will he bring us out of our slavery into our sin into the freedom that we now have in Christ. Just as God sent his one and only son to take away the sins of the world, so will he again again, send his son to take away death and suffering for all time. This is who our God is. This is the one who will give us strength in our weaknesses. Just look at these verses again in 19 and 20, where it says this, it says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad of my people. Hear these. No more shall be heard in, the sound of, in, the, in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall, not, or so the young man shall die a hundred years, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. Look at these no more statements. This is where we can find confidence in God. No more shall there be weeping and cries of distress. No more shall there be unexpected short days of life. No more shall there be sicknesses or diseases that take us before our time. This is what we can cling to. In our weaknesses in the flesh, God is our strength. Once and for all, God will deliver us from the weaknesses that plague us as a result of our sin. We will once again be as God intended us to be, children made in his likeness. We will be good. We will rejoice and be glad and God will rejoice in us as his people. And that's exactly what we see in, in Revelation 21 verses three through four. So we see it here in the Old Testament, but we also see it in the New Testament at the end. This is what it says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear, every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for their former things have passed away. Wow. That gives you goosebumps just thinking about it. That means I won't be tired anymore. That means I won't have to be worried anymore. You don't have to be anxious anymore. I don't have to worry about the fact that I'm losing my hair. <laughs> this is a beautiful picture and a beautiful promise for us. This should give us great rest, knowing that, that through God's power and strength, we will overcome our weaknesses. But it's only through Christ it's only by taking heart in God. And if anything, this should cause us to boast even more in our own weaknesses. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, nine to 10, he says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in what? Your weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Wow. How many of y'all would ever thought you'd be sitting in a church and you hear a pastor say, hey, you need to boast in your weaknesses today, people. That's so counterculture to what we live in, right? But that's exactly what we need to do here, that we need to boast in our weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon us. So let us take heart knowing that God is our strength and our weaknesses. We move on to the third point that we take heart because God's love is greater than any of our suffering. God's love is greater than our suffering. Again, as we walk through this life, we will face many weaknesses and many kinds of sufferings. After all, that's a result of our sinful nature, right? And as a Christian, we're even promised to more suffering. We're gonna face suffering and trials in this life, but as a Christian, it's only gonna become more prominent, more prevalent. Because that's what is promised. As we see in 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. And as we've seen so far this morning, the promises of God, though, despite our sufferings, they assure us that our suffering will only be momentary compared to the eternal greatness of being in in the presence of God. To his surpassing love. But the question is, and some of y'all may have this as well, is what does the surpassing love of God look like? Well, let me give you a picture of what the surpassing love looks like. And this is a picture that we saw at camp. And it's going to take us back to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. You guys can remember this account with me where he's in the garden. We see the God-man Jesus Christ going before the Father in great distress and agony over what is about to take place for him in the coming day with the crucifixion, right? And we see him come to the Father with this request. He says, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Talking about the wrath, the cup of wrath, right? That's coming upon him for the sins of the world. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In this moment, Jesus is saying, hey, I know what's fixing to come and I know that I can get away from it because after all, I'm the son of God. I'm the the God man, Jesus Christ. But he says, but not as my will, but as your will, because I know the love of which you have for my people. And we all know what happens. after the first time he goes away. He finds his disciples sleeping. He's like, wake up, dudes. Y'all are supposed to be praying for me. I don't know if he would have said dudes. I'm sorry, but... He was told to wake up and to be praying for him and not to fall into temptation. And he goes back to the Father once again. He says, my Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And that is exactly what happened to Jesus. Jesus would go on to fulfill the Father's will for his life. He he would go on to die the most excruciating death this world has ever seen by being crucified on the cross. However, I don't wanna take his death lightly because this is no ordinary death, if you guys can remember. This was not just a death that Jesus died for himself, but rather this is a death that he died for all of us. Not just the sins of the world at that time either, but for the sins of the past, the sins of that time, and our sins today, and the sins of the future. He took the entire weight of the world's sin, past, present, and future on his shoulders that day. What an amazing and beautiful death and sacrifice that is. So when we look at the love of God and that he has for his people, there it is. He loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come and to die on the cross for our sins so that we, you and I, can have eternal life. People who are undeserving of it, people who are just sinful, wretched people. He came so that you and I can be restored into the right relationship with God so that we can have eternal life. That's the love in which God has for us. So when we look at this point of how we can take heart for God's love is greater than our suffering, it doesn't matter what we may face in this life. God's love is still so much greater and so much more sufficient than anything in this world. So I don't know what you guys brought into the church today. We all have different things going on in our lives. Different pains, different sorrows different uh, worries, anxieties. I don't know, maybe you guys walked in the room and you have nothing but praises for what the Lord's doing in your life. And that's awesome. Praise the Lord. But may we never forget that no matter what we face in this life, God's love is greater than anything this world could ever throw at us. Amen? But that's exact, But what I want us to see here though is when we go back to these verses here in 22 and 23, that's exactly what we're seeing that by taking heart in the love of God, we no longer have to worry about the sufferings we have in this life because when we believe in him and, the son, and his son Jesus, we no longer cling to the things of this world, but rather to the future hope and the promises of eternal life. We see that here in these verses, that they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and in another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of the trees shall the days of my people be in my chosen shall enjoy the work of their hands. So what we're seeing here in this picture is that we no longer have to, we're no longer going to face these earthly sufferings. These, this thing of, man, I'm going to work really hard for this and only for it to be taken away. How many of you guys ever felt that way? Or I'm going to go, I'm going to love my child so much and then out of nowhere it gets taken away from me. Or or just all these different examples in our life in which we face where we feel like we're doing the right thing and all of it gets taken away from us. And we question God like, God, if you're so good and so loving and so sovereign, why are you taking these away from me? What did I do? But God says, no, 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 no. That's the wrong perspective. Even in your suffering, my love is still sufficient. Even in my suffering, my love is still greater than what you are facing. You need to trust and walk in me. You need to take heart in me. And it goes on there, verse 23 says, They shall not labor in vain or bear children in calamity, for they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord. We shall be the offspring of the blessed. And our descendants as well. We no longer have to worry about the light and momentary struggles in this life, but rather we can find peace in Christ when the day comes. And as Paul says in Romans eight eighteen, 18, he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let me reread that for you guys, y'all ready for this? For I consider the sufferings of this present time, they are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So may we take heart in the great love that the Father has for us despite our suffering. Which leads me to the last point. But we can take heart because we know that Jesus has overcome the world. Goes back to John sixteen thirty three. Jesus has overcome the world. From the beginning of creation, from the beginning of time, God knew that He was going to have to send His Son Jesus into this world. He was not surprised by it. Jesus was not God's Plan B if something failed, but rather Jesus was God's Plan A from the beginning and into the end. He was not surprised by what we we are facing. And because of the faithful obedience of the son, we as God's people can now experience a relationship with the father the way he intended it to be, good. We can now have access to the father and have right relationship with him because of the obedience of the son. God knew also that the day would come where he would once again hear the cries of his people and their suffering and have to intervene. Except this time it wouldn't be a mere man, right? So like for example, back in the times of Moses, when the nation of Israel was in slavery to Egypt, he heard the cries of their people and what did he do? He called out to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to go and set my people free. Except this time it's not gonna be a mere man for the people to rely on, but it was the son of man, the lamb of God, the only one who's truly capable of overcoming the world. What a great hope and promise that we can take heart in today, knowing that Jesus has taken away the sufferings, the sins of the world. We can take heart in God because Jesus has overcome the world. And we can cling to that. And we get to read beautiful passages of Scripture like this in Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16, talking about our great high priest, where it says that since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, with what? Confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. May we take heart because God has sent his son Jesus to overcome the world. And as a result of that, we now have a high priest who's able to sympathize and empathize with us in every respect. That day, when he, that night when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he literally experienced every kind of suffering that we could have imagined in our own life to the point to where he began bleeding as what we saw in Luke's account. He began sweating drops of blood. That's how much agony he was in, how much suffering he was facing. But yet we think that our suffering is greater than his. How foolish are we? But rather, like this pastor says, we have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with every way and every respect to our sufferings, to our temptations, to our our sin because he has overcome it. So may we never be afraid of bringing our worries, our pains, our sufferings to the throne of God for he already knows our weaknesses and our sufferings. And through his son, he already took them away from us at the cross of Calvary. And that's exactly what we see here in these these last two verses in Isaiah 65. It says, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. Before we even bring our anxieties, our worries, our sufferings to him, he already knows them. He has known them from the beginning of time. So why should we be surprised by the sufferings that we have and be afraid to bring them to the God who knows them? Hello, I mean, but rather he is, he, before we called out to him, he will answer. And before we even speak to him, he will hear it. He knows our thoughts. He knows our worries, our anxieties. And that's exactly what we see in Philippians 4. Verses six through seven in the words of Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which what? Surpasses all understanding. Surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And Peter tells us a very similar thing in his letter that he writes where where he says, cast all your anxieties on him because what? He cares for you because He cares for you. He cares for you so much that He came and died for you. So lift your anxieties and your worries, all these things to Him. He desires for us to bring them to Him. And as a result of this, when we bring these anxieties, these worries, our fears, all these things to him, we see that the peace of Christ will surpass all understanding. It will will come into our hearts and to our minds. And we see a glimpse of that here in verse 25, that the wolf and the lamb shall graze together. This is a, a beautiful picture here. What are the two animals? A wolf and a lamb will graze together. That's not common that you see those two grazing together, just so you know. Usually it's the wolf grazing on the lamb. okay? But rather, they're grazing together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox and the dust shall be the serpent's food. So as a result of this peace that we can find, we find rest for our souls and the things in which uh, bring us pain and suffering this life, they fade away. We don't have to worry about them anymore. We can live in peaceful relationship with one another. We can live in peaceful uh, uh, lives with one another. That's exactly what we see here. So when we truly take heart in the goodness and glory of God, we will find rest for our souls. That's exactly what we're seeing in these verses today. The future promise of rest for our souls, for those of us who are in Christ, who believe in Christ, that is what we're seeing. If we take heart in God today. And the words being in, there's something else here that the words that we see here in this passage being used today, such as when we find peace and rest in the Lord, it reminds me of very similar words that we hear from a very famous guy named King David. Uh, What we read in the Psalms. Many of you guys know this Psalm. It's Psalm 23. I'm just going to read this verse. I'm going to read this to you. It's short just a few verses, and it says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. He what? Restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you, for you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord for what? Forever. Forever. May we all take heart in him today and trust in his goodness and ultimately in the future blessings in which he promises us for those who are in Christ, Jesus. Because as Jesus said in John sixteen thirty three, in this life, there will be trials and tribulation. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. We can find hope and peace in him today. So will you guys pray with me? Lord God, we just come before you. We, again, thank you for your promises. We thank you for the fact that we can now take heart in you, knowing that you have fulfilled not only your past promises, but you will fulfill your future promises. Lord, that you will lead us, that you will guide us, that you will direct us all the days of our lives, as David said, Lord, that we can find rest for our souls in you forever. So Lord, I just pray that if anyone is here today and they do not understand what it means to have that relationship, that peace with you, God, I pray that today will be that day. That they will come to know you in a very real and personal way. But Lord, for those of us who are in Christ, I pray, God, that you will continually just encourage us through your Holy Spirit to strive to pursue you and to trust in you and to take heart in you all the days of our lives. Because God, now more than ever, in these days, we need you, in order to face tomorrow. Lord, we lift all this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.